Good morning, everybody. All right, so today we're going to be in two places uh, in Luke chapter 1, uh, beginning with verse 46. So put a little mark there. We're also going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. So. Alexander the Great consolidated uh, his conquest across the greatest part of the known world at that time, and that included Palestine. It wasn't called Palestine at that time. Um, that's a more of a Roman name, but uh, with it, with that conquest, uh, which was in the 300s BC really ushered in Greek influence all over that whole region. And uh, one of the things that Alexander the Great did in his very short period of, uh, of power, uh, when he would go in to conquer a land, he brought in a lot of um, uh, learned folks, um, philosophers and mathematicians and uh, teachers, and really to try to bring Greek culture to all the areas that had been uh, conquered. And the area of Judea was not immune to that. So for several hundred years before the time of Christ, Greek influence was really, really strong. Toward the latter part of that time, of course, the Romans came to power and specifically conquered that area around 60-something B.C., and so if you could picture for the 60 years leading up until uh, the time of uh, the birth of Christ, um, we have this, this area that had been under one set of rules for 300 and something years, but then there was literally a new sheriff in town for the last 60, okay? So in this time, as Rome was trying to exert its influence on that area, and Herod the Great covered most of the generation leading up to the time of Christ, and he was um, a very successful person, as one commentator said, very successful, very powerful, but you wouldn't want your daughter to date him. Uh, he wasn't exactly a nice guy, but he did lots of public works and uh, built the, uh, the temple, the, the main part, um, that of the temple in Jerusalem today was built by Herod. Uh, a lot of public works projects that uh, they're still either standing or, or evidences are still standing today. Uh, but, so that was all going on. But if you could picture from a religious standpoint, it's been an unsettled time. We know that the difference between the latter those latter prophets in the Old Testament and when you know Jesus was born we have about 400 or so years um, and periodically there were revolts there were zealots there were people who really wanted to follow the true God and, and wanted to uh, kind of uh, bring people revival, so to speak. Um, obviously, there was Greek influence going on th at the time, which was not according to the Bible. 
the rules of the Old Testament. They were not following God per se. Um, and that continued periodically throughout the 400 years. So here we are as the Romans come into view. Well, this is still going on. So now you have, picture this, you've got the political stuff going on with Rome. You've got the, you might say, the religious establishment who were maneuvering in the context of how to get in with this new um, set of leaders, right? Uh, and, of course, there was corruption going on there um, uh, as they were kind of buddy-buddy, trying to get buddy-buddy with the Roman leaders and so forth. But then throughout Isaiah, we've all been to, always been talking about this, this remnant of true believers, right? Well, there was a remnant of true believers back then, too. So they weren't part of the religious elite. They weren't part of the political elite. These were the true believers who were still holding on to the promises that they heard all the way back in Isaiah, waiting for God to do something. So that's the context. I know Daddy talked about this um, uh, last time. But that's the, the context of, of where we are. So if you turn back to, to Luke chapter 1, and um, just to back up a little bit to our, our focus. Now, um, talked about John the Baptist and Elizabeth and so forth. Um, just to this paragraph where in verse 39, where Mary goes to see Elizabeth, right? So let's just pick up there as an intro. It says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is he who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. 400 years since God had been actively speaking to his people. Those last prophets. 400 years and now in the context of these two families primarily. God speaking again. Now, just let that sink in. I mean, a lot of us get nervous if we haven't heard from somebody in a, a week or two. Right? What's going on? Haven't heard from so-and-so. Um, especially those of you who are really good at staying connected with people. <laughs> I'm not that great at staying connected with people. But you know what I'm saying? After a while, you start thinking, oh, what, what's going on? So it's been 400 years. There's a remnant here, still hanging on, reading those promises. But they've got to be thinking, you know, what's going on? It's not great right now. A lot of turmoil going on. Our religious leaders are kind of corrupt. Uh, nobody's really teaching the Bible like they used to. Where are the prophets that we were used to hearing? 
And now we get this little picture of these two women and they know amongst themselves something big is going on. What an honor. How blessed are you, Mary, for what's going on and how blessed I am, Elizabeth says, that I get to be a part of this. God's doing something. There's excitement there. And that's the lead-in to Mary's song. It's called Mary's Song of Praise. Historically, it's called the Magnificat. Uh, in Latin, it starts off with that word, Magnificat. So let's jump in. Verse 46, and it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. I think it's good that we look at this shortly after our year in Isaiah because you remember early on as we got into this prophetic language of Isaiah I said you kind of had to reorient recalibrate your ears a little bit right because the sometimes the the plain speaking of Paul or the 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 kind of country type teachings of Jesus um, sound very easy for us to hear but I said you know you're going to have to sharpen up your ears a little bit to hear this kind of what we would call Old Testament language well as we go through the rest of Mary's song it'll sound much more like Isaiah than it does Luke Mary wasn't taught anything about Luke right she lived long before that what did she know of scripture she knew Isaiah and the prophets and the Psalms and the, the law, the, the first five books, right? That's, that's what she knew. And, and as we read through this, we'll realize she really knew it. Now, if you were a, a young girl, as she was back in the day, we all want heroes, right? Who would a, a young girl have looked up to as a Bible story back in the past well we don't know I'm not maybe just speculating here but um, if you'll turn to 1st Samuel we get to hear another mother's song Hannah of course had um, had not been able to have children she had been barren prayed to the Lord um, and uh, had a son that she dedicated uh, to the Lord and, and here we have her prayer and I think as we go through this you'll see some parallels with Mary's song and I think that there are enough parallels there that as we hear the things that Hannah says it might sharpen our ears to hear the things that Mary says so 1 Samuel chapter 2, and we'll start at verse 1. It says, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies 
because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him the actions are weighed. So she starts off saying, I praise you. You are the source of my salvation. There is a personal connection that Hannah has with her God, which, if you think about it, may not have always been true because the sacrificial system was through an intermediary, right? It was on behalf of the people that the priest made the sacrifice and represented to, to God. But here we have this very personal connection. It kind of reminds you of that really close personal connection that, that David had. My soul exalts in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. She saw God as the source of her own salvation. And then she goes on with praise. God is holy. God is holy. There is no rock like our God. God is our security. Latter part of verse 3. The Lord is a God of knowledge. God of action. Verse 4. The bows of the mighty are broken. The feeble bind on strength. A God of power. These next verses highlight something else that I think you'll see as we go through Mary's song. And that's this concept that God can turn everything upside down in the best of ways, right? In verse 4, it says, the bows of the mighty are broken. So you have the, those that were powerful are now not powerful. It says, the feeble bind on strength. Those who were weak are now strong. Verse 5, those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. Those who used to have plenty, they're now having to work just to get a meal. Verse 5, the latter part, the barren is born seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The, all the blessings are brought forth to the people who weren't being blessed, and it's because of God's action. Verse 6, the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. This praise song that Hannah is saying that God is aware of the lowly and the people who have been disadvantaged, and he is powerful enough to make a difference. He is powerful enough to, to make it right. Verse 9, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. Here's this point that, that, there's, that the reason God does this is because of people who are being faithful. So, so that brings in this, this concept of that faithfulness matters. And then verse 10, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king 
and exalt the power of his anointed. Hannah saw God was at work. She was on the cusp of God doing something great, but she saw that this was part of his plan, and that plan was going to include an instrument, and that instrument was a king, an anointed king. A lot of prophecy there, a lot of praise there. So just kind of let that simmer, and then let's go back to Luke. Hannah first said, my heart exalts in the Lord. Her first concept was praise. And Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. In terms of length, in terms of attitude, in terms of content, you got to think Mary knew a lot about Hannah. I, I I just think she did. I think most people see that connection. Verse 48, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. You get the idea that that Hannah was a humble person as well because she saw very sharp focus the, the downside of things. All generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. So this first section... Mary just is talking about the blessings to her. What has God done for me? And then she moves on to what has he done for for all of us. You could kind of insert the concept, all of us true believers. You know, here we are hundreds of years after Isaiah, and we're still talking about this, this remnant of true believers. Um, I don't know what our future is going to be but Christianity has really I guess this could be somewhat argued but true Christianity has really never been in the majority right there's been Christianity in big terms in the western world and all of that but true Christianity has never been about politics or, or world power. It's always been about authentic faith, and that's always been in the minority and will always continue to be in the minority. Um, I think it's good to remember that. So let's look at what it, does she say about what God has done for that remnant of true believers. Verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. She sees a connection with all those other people that have gone before her. She feels connected. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Again, we get this concept of the lowly being brought up and the privileged and the majority and um, the corrupt, in this case, being brought down. She goes on, verse 53, He has filled the hungry with good things 
and the rich he has sent away empty. Same sort of upending of the status quo that, that Hannah was talking about. This concept of mercy from generation to generation, um, God says that he will give mercy to those that are following him, that are, are part of his family. And I think she sees herself really in the pocket of that covenant promise that was to Abraham. She can start to look back as she mentions Abraham just a, a couple verses later. God's been merciful to the helpless. He's been merciful to the humble. He's been merciful to the hungry. All of those things. Verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel. A little shift here, bringing it down to, to more local. And I think here is really where we see that focus of the true believers. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. <coughs> and Mary remained with her for three months and then returned to her home. <coughs> Paul's going to talk a lot a few decades later, as we saw in Romans, about true Israel. <coughs> That's really the, the remnant of which we're part of. His mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So I was thinking about this. One of the things that sometimes maybe wasn't as easy in Isaiah was to kind of bring it down and, and see how this applies. Um, so I just put a couple things. The things that is most obvious is when, when she got this good news, she erupted with this song of praise. Which is, to put it plainly, pretty fancy talk for a probable 13-year-old, right? Clearly, God's Holy Spirit was on her. Clearly, she was steeped in Scripture. But the other thing is, I don't think these words come from somebody who wasn't already used to counting her blessings. She was already connecting with God. She was already having that perspective that the blessings that she had, maybe meager as they were, came from God. She was already doing that. So when this new thing happened, it wasn't like she all of a sudden just connected. I think she already was doing this. So the question for us would be, if we got that chunk of good news all at once have we been practiced up on counting our blessings 
do we automatically see God at work? Many of you likely do, but I think it's something that, you know, we, we're, you know, 2016, the tail end of it, we're pretty blessed. It's easy to take those things for granted. Are we habitually grateful for the things that God has done for us? The people that God has brought around us? Do we consider that we should be thankful? This is a part where we often don't like. We, we often, we're fine with God. We're fine with our, um, um, our blessings. Maybe we count those. Um, we may even like the people that are around us that God has brought to us, but we usually aren't so fond of our circumstances, right? <laughs> That's usually where we, we kind of grind against those. But are we thankful for our circumstances? Do we see that as part of the way that God has blessed us? Are we thankful for the plan of which we're a part going forward? She very quickly saw she was going to be a part of something big going forward. You know, is are we are we lined up with that? Do we think God could use us like he used her? Um, going along with that, notice that she knew she was a part of something big. She saw the connection with the prophecies in the past, but she has no clue what that's going to be, right? She doesn't know that you know, she's going to have to give birth in a feeding trough. And she doesn't know at that point that she's going to have to flee to Egypt. And she doesn't know that, you know, she's going to be put up for bad mom of the year because she loses track of her son for three whole days. <laughs> she doesn't know that her son is going to be persecuted and crucified. She doesn't know any of that's going to happen. But she's just kind of buckling in and going with it. And I think that may be the, the kind of the coolest thing to me. Um, she is kind of a little bit fretful about this whole virgin birth thing, right? She's not real sure how that's going to play back at home. Um, it's probably not going to go well. So I know she's got some anxiety as as any proper 13-year-old virgin would have. But, but she's strapping in for whatever God has for her. And I think that's really cool. And then I think the other thing is the theme of this whole song, I think, is hope. Right? All that political context I talked about it wasn't good. Do you think she had any power in that day? No. There was no social network, no, you know, uh, there was no um, safety net. Um, this was, she was a poor girl for, from a poor time 
without any connections, um, not only flying under the radar in a lot of ways, but but just not, she just wasn't anything to society. But you see hope here. You see hope here that um, that God still has a plan. Wow, I'm going to be a part of that plan. Um, but she saw it was bigger than she was, and and she saw God as the source of all that. And I guess you know, f- you know, s- she's at a key point in history, right? That's why we're talking about Mary today. And you know. Even the most insignificant of people that, you know, we kind of talk about in our Bible study, you know, well, at least they got their names in the Bible, right? That's more than we can say. Uh, So it is kind of, you know, we do kind of wonder, well, you know, I'm not Mary. Well, yeah, that's right. But yet, are we part of that remnant? Do we still serve the same God? Are we still part of that lineage that he's wanting to take forward? Yeah. And in fact, the theology of the church suggests that the church, which is us, is destined to do greater things than anything in the book. Right? That's the craziness of it. Same God, same Holy Spirit, same Savior, different group of people but I think her her theme there is hope so we have this little chunk of kind of Old Testament-y praise stuck in the middle of our Christmas story but that's where Mary was she was an Old Testament girl thrown into the Christmas story but yet she saw God at work. All right, I guess I'll stop. Any comments on that? I think this is a, a part of the scripture that sometimes does get a little bit lost this time of year. Um, it doesn't always show up in the Christmas plays, right? Um, our uh, our friends, uh, our Roman Catholics, of course, um, highly revere Mary and say some things about her that aren't true, like she was sinless herself, for example. Not true. She herself says, I need a Savior. Um, but yet, you know, I think sometimes because the Roman Church has gone so far for Mary, maybe we don't maybe esteem her as much. You know, we esteem a lot of other people in the Bible. You know, Paul and John and a lot of other people, uh, Peter and so forth. Um, some pretty good wisdom from a, from a young girl. All right, let's close. Father, we thank you that you have the long view and that, yes, we see another episode where you have intervened in the, in the hearts of, of people who were on the backside of nowhere but yet you were there with them you used them and um, we can learn from them today and we thank you that you are 
a God who is powerful, a God that keeps promises, and a God who's always about a Savior. And we thank you for Jesus. In his name, amen.